Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right. Good morning. Good morning. So, how is everybody doing? How was the Easter service? I wasn't here. Was it good? Good. It's great to celebrate the resurrected King together. I'm going to wrap up the First uh, John series today. And so, um, who's enjoyed this series, by the way? Yeah? This has been really good for me. Um, let's do this like we did last time. What are the things that you're learning? If you, if you can mention the themes of First John, what has, God, what has God been speaking to you? Just shout it out. Love. Love. Mercy. Love and mercy. Anything else? What's that? Serve the only Christ. That's powerful. What? Only his words, okay? What's that? So truth. That's good. Anything else? All right, good. I appreciate you guys kind of feeding me here. Um, the... When, we, when I look at 1 John, so 2 John follows 1 John, coincidentally, and then 3 John follows that, right? So the three letters that he writes, 1 John is the longest. It's five chapters. The following two are shorter ones. So what we're going to look at today is how he ends the letter, and so that's what we're going to focus on, because he has five full chapters. They're full of meat. I mean, he's, given, he's dropping some doctrinal truth because the church needed that. They needed to get almost corrected. So there's some corrective language that he has. There's some um, warning messages that he has to be, you know, be careful, you know, and there's also all this language that's so rich that it's tied throughout the whole book and this idea of us being children and he refers to them as dear children. And so the idea of, of being invited into God's family is really important. I know last time I spoke, I talked about the identity of us as, as sons and daughters of the king that weaves through. Thank you. Um, that weaves through. Um, does anybody like Kirsten's new haircut? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so this idea of God calling us into family, 13 different times in First John he mentions children, that we are his children. So that's a great theme for us to remember always as we're opening up scripture and we're hearing these warnings. Like today we're going to head into some some deep stuff, and it's, he's going to, again, John is so good about packing a punch, but he does it so nicely, right? He's like, all right, come sit up on my lap, and then I'm going <laughs> to, you know, and it's not a spanking, it's just a, hey, I love you so much, you need to know these things. This is so important, dear child, I need you to know this. It's not going to go well for you unless you listen to me. So that's kind of the heartbeat of how John is presenting things, and that's what we're going to kind of talk more about here. The things that, the themes that, as I'm looking through it, the idea of family is really big. The idea of having love in action, right? That you can't just have love without action. You can't just be like, yeah, I love you, and not do anything about it. I think we've gone pretty deep into that. Um, The fact that we're children of the Father, I talked about that. And then also this theme that's not real crystal clear, but it's kind of the overarching theme, is that there's there's to be a distinction between us and the world. As he's calling 
as he's calling the body to family and clarifying that we are God's children, there's a distinction then between how Christ's family looks and how the rest of the world operates. And I think that's really, really important for us to know that we are called to be a people for, for God, right? We're called to be part of his family, and we should look different than the world around us. So that was true then, and that's true now. And I think one of the dangers that we run is that we get so closely assimilated in the culture that there's no distinction between how we live and how the rest of the world is living. So that's the call for us today is that we would be a distinct people. All right, so that's just kind of the theme of 1 John. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into today's text, okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together and to be able to pray for our city and for the nations and for those who are afflicted. And uh, God, what a great reminder to take off all of our stuff and our distractions and to be able to think about other people and to intercede on their behalf, Lord. So right now, I ask that you would come and you would speak to us, speak to us through your spirit and through your word. As we read your word, I pray that you would be speaking. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to read the text. If you have it, read along. Otherwise, it should be up here. Again, this is in the, the NIV because that's what I've been comfortable with. So this is, we're going, we're going through 1 John 5, 13 through 21. And this is wrapping up 1 John. So I'm going to read. There's, it's a chunk, but follow along. I write these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I am saying that he should, I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God is safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I keep clicking for a reason. Should I just leave it? Is that bothering anybody? It may do that. Okay, so there's a lot there in that text. And um, anytime I start to look, I look because it's in my pocket. We'll see. Hopefully, that'll chill out a little bit. Um, anytime I start to look at the text, and you you look months in advance about what you're going to preach about, and then you kind of start to pray over it. Man, as I'm looking, I'm like, holy cow, this could be a series in and of itself. All of the all of the stuff here that John is saying to us, we could focus on each one of these verses, and it could be a whole message to us. So, I'm going to highlight some of these, and we're going to go deep into some of them, okay? Some of them we're going to have to go quicker through. 
But I would encourage you, as we're going through these series, as always, to be reading these and to be studying this and to be prayerful, right? And to be asking God to speak to you through, through his word because he wants to speak to you. And that's how he speaks to you primarily is through his word. So he starts out by saying, I write these things to you who believe. So, he talk, so he's kind of wrapping up the message. And then he ends with, where I'm going to start, he ends with, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, which is an interesting way to end this book when he's been talking about warnings, about just having right thinking, talking about having love in action, talking about family, talking about like following the, the Antichrist, all these different things. And then he says, last thing, by the way, a lot of times, a lot of times, letters are written, "Hey, like go in peace," or you know, there's like this admonishment. Here he says, "Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols." Now, when you hear the word idols, tell me what do you think? What do you? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of an idol? What's that? Anything. Anything that we put ahead of God. Anything else? A statue. We think of a statue, right? Yeah. Someone that you respect and follow. So American Idol, that show that just ended, right? Like, I think that's done now, right? Thank goodness. What's that? Yeah, I just, I, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. But, like, I was just doing research so that I'd have a way to, you know, make the message more powerful. Um, no, so this, I mean, it's so funny. American Idol, we make this big deal about it. We even say American Idol, and everyone just votes, and freaks out and votes and all that stuff. And then this person gets this career, and we all worship that person. And, and we joke about that, and it's just this, you know, it's an idol. So it's, it's language that's, that we use, oh, he's my idol, or she's my idol, or this is our American Idol, you know? And we think of it as a statue, you know? But I think it's so interesting that, that John finishes with saying, keep yourself. So I want to talk about this idea of idols and idolatry, and then we're going to dive in. Um, so I can tell that we've been studying this because a lot of us have previously, maybe say 10 years ago, if you said, when you first think of an idol, my first thought would be a statue. I would think, oh, that's, you know, like when I lived in Mexico, there was all these little, these little statues that people would pray to, you know, and there would be different, there's different, you know, you think of false religions, or you think of religions that are not, that we're really familiar with, and you think of worshiping idols, or you think of in the Old Testament where they built that golden calf, right? And you think of the statue like that and something that they were physically bowing down to. In my mind, when I think of an idol, that's what I picture, right? But an idol is kind of like what, you, what a lot of you said. Anything that you put in a position above Christ or above God that can take up your affection, that can occupy your imagination, that can make you excited makes you angry, all these different things, and they're really not the gospel. They're really not what Jesus cares most about. They're really not having a kingdom implication. They're not having an eternal effect. They're just stuff that we really gravitate towards, right? Like anything can be an idol. I want to read um, something by Tim Keller because Tim Keller does really, he has written a lot of really great things about idolatry. So um, I, here's what Tim Idols, one of the many things he says. Idolatry is making a good aspect of creation, marriage, mountains, business, and so on, into the ultimate source of security, identity, and power. And so false gods are a thorn. 
When we make something into an idol, it continually makes us miserable. If we fall short of it, if we fall short of it, or if we might fall short of it, it robs of uh, robs us of our joy. If our children are our false gods or our idols, lives are troubled, we will lose our joy. And even when their lives become tr- might become troubled, which is all the time, we will worry and lose our joy. So what Tim Keller is saying is anything that can occupy our imagination, any of these things that are, could be good, right? Good things that we raise to be the ultimate thing, like if only I had a better job, or if only I had you know, more money, or you know, all these kind of, anything that we start to think like that, that we start to occupy, ends up becoming, I mean, this isn't going to be a whole message about idolatry, but I just want to talk about this because John ends with it. Anything that we can think about so much that it would keep us from focusing on Christ can become an idol. So I want you to be thinking about the things that occupy your mind mostly. What are the things that you think about? What are the things that you spend your money on? What are the things that you spend your time on? What are your go-tos when you are sad? You know, what are the go-to things when you're excited? What are all those things? How do they occupy your imagination? I think those things can become your idols or your saviors, the things that if they were removed, you'd be happy. Or if you had more of, you'd, be, you'd have joy. And I like that he talks about, Keller talks about how good things can become idols, right? Like your family, like, oh man, if the worst thing that would ever happen to me is something would happen to my kids, I just got to make sure that they're super safe and I got to build this, all this protection so that nothing happens to my kids. And that's all you care about, which I'm too personally, because I have six kids, and that that matters to me. And I got to be careful sometimes. Like, well, who are you mostly trusting for their security with? Are you trusting for your own ability to provide them security, or are you trusting the heavenly Father? Right. And the thing is, when we're focusing on our idols, when we're focusing on things that can be a distraction to us, we're not trusting the Father, and we're not able to take risk. We're not, we're not able to have faith in who God's already called us to be and to walk in what he's called us to do. And we don't take the risk of going confidently before the Father and saying, what would you have me do with my life? What would you have me do with this week? What would you have me do in this season? And we don't ask those questions because we're so stuck on protecting that which we don't want to fall apart. That makes sense? So how do we keep ourselves from idols then? That's the last thing that John says. How do we keep ourselves from idols? We don't want to get stuck in wrong thinking. We don't want to get stuck down five, ten years down the road. We're like, oh my gosh, how did I end up here? I was so focused on protecting my life that I didn't do anything for the kingdom. That would be a terrible, terrible travesty, right? To find out, oh my gosh, I've, I've, I haven't really spent my life well. So how do we keep ourselves from idols? John says, keep yourselves from idols. How do you do that? I think he says this in verse 13. I write these things that you to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. So John is laying this out. He says, listen, you who have eternal life, you who know who the Father is, you are part of his family, you have a confidence. God's given us a confidence. We sang this song before, you're the only king forever. Right? And there was a verse in there that talked about how nations fall. Right? And essentially you start to think about like, what can we trust in, really? Right? Can we trust in our job security? Can we trust in 
the government? Can we trust in whatever the future might We can't really put much trust in anything other than our king who's going to live forever, right? So we have to have our mindset be on what God's mindset is. And so when John says, you, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we need to have our minds so focused on Christ that we know we have confidence that we can go to him and ask for anything according to his will, right? So the point is this, man, when you think about like, I don't want to get distracted by my own sin, or I don't want to get distracted by my own proneness towards idolatry, the things that I am comforted by, what is it? Go to the Father in confidence. You are his family. You're part of his family. Come to him. We have this confidence. I, I keep saying that because here's the thing. Nothing else will provide us confidence. But the fact that we're sinners saved by grace and we're part of God's family, that should give us this confidence to walk out the life that God's called us to, knowing that he's given us an eternal purpose. That's powerful. Amen? That's, pow- that's really powerful. I need a drink here. So I think the confidence that he's talking about has implications for our lives in two ways. One is just to be, it's an obvious one, but it's worth noting, to approach God, right? To approach God. God is a holy, holy God, and he's all-powerful, but he desires relationship with us, okay? He wants us to be reminded that we're part of his family. That's why he refers to us as his children. So we have the confidence to approach God and then to ask him for anything according to his will, right? To ask him anything according to his will. I'm convinced, and this has, been, this has been really good for me as I've been studying this, I'm convinced that we don't think highly enough of our God. I don't think we think that he can do the things he says he's going to do or the things that he's promised. I think we think, like he, I think we think that he thinks like us, right? With this limited thinking. But it's so much bigger than that. And so the challenge for us is to shed this small thinking and to think of and know that God is an eternal God. We get so stuck in the now that we think that that's how God operates. So we have the confidence to approach God and we have the confidence to ask him for anything according to his will. Are we doing that? Are we asking big things of God? Are we asking, right? And are we listening? And are we trusting that he hears us, right? Or are we just kind of throwing up prayers? You know, like today, as, we were, as, as Michael was leading this, uh, the worship set this morning, were any of you uncomfortable with how long it was taking? You're good with that? Okay, that's good. I was one, I'm sitting here in the back, and I'm just like, how, this is new for us, right? And we're praying for other things, and we're like, I was wondering if people were like, man, can we just get down with the worship? Right? It was good, right? It was really good. I thought it was really powerful, but I was wondering, like, okay, this is a real thing. We can corporately, as a body, come together and pray for our government and pray for our city and ask according to his will. Do you think God wants to see Madison change for Christ? Amen. Do you think he wants to see all of the brokenness that we are experiencing? Does he want to see that redeemed? Yes. Yes, so we need to pray for those things. That is his will, that people, all men would come to know him. So we need to do that. We need to pray with big prayers, and we need to have lives that are, big, that are big lives that live as if we've been redeemed and we have an eternal value. Okay, I think sometimes we get so stuck in the now that we forget that we've been called for a purpose and that our time here on earth 
is super, super short. We spend so much of our time thinking how we can make these 60, 70, 80 years or whatever is the most we possibly can when it's just a fraction of what the eternal magnitude of our timeline is. Right, so we need to be reminded of that. What we do now has eternal implications. So how we live each day matters. Right? This, is like the, this is a challenge for me because I'm getting stuck in just the routine and the rhythm. I'm not very routine or scheduled, but the rhythm of just like go, 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 and not stopping and focusing and being like, God, what, how am I living right now? How am I living? How long has it been before? How long has it been since I've stopped and been like, have I prayed anything according to your will? What about my family, who I pray for, who doesn't know Jesus? I'm speaking for real. Like, how much do I ask God that he would change their lives and that they would come to know him? I think most times when I pray, I don't think God can save them. Otherwise, I'd live differently, and I'd pray more. And I know it's not my responsibility. I'm not doing that on me. right? I know God is sovereign, but I don't think I believe him. I think I mostly just be like, yeah, every once in a while I'll pray. Or every once in a while I'll do something. But if I really believed that eternity was what mattered and that this life matters for nothing, I would live my life differently. I would pray more fervently. I don't believe it. I challenge you guys. I don't think you guys believe it either. I don't think you believe that eternity is what we're living for. I think you think, like I do, that we need to get as much out of this life as we can. It's a joke. It's a joke. Here's the deal. God's given us so much. And we get so stuck on all these small, petty things. The things that I get angry about are embarrassing. They're embarrassing. Someone cuts me off. You know, yet this week, another thing, another story about my backyard. There was a rugby game going on. <laughs> There's a rugby game going on in my backyard. And it happens like four times a year. Big deal. And there, I walked, I got home from work, and there's this big, huge, white SUV sitting out in the park off the road, like off the bike path, like in the park. I'm just like, who does that guy think he is, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to go tell him who, I'm going to go tell this guy off, you know? So I walk up and I like knock on the window. I'm such a terrible person. That's what I keep telling you guys. Here's the the only thing we can trust in is Jesus Christ. Amen? Because we're all garbage otherwise, right? (laughs) Thank God for the grace that he gives us. Amen? I walk up to this guy. I knock on the window. I'm just like, hey, man, you can't park here. He's like, we're not moving. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I kid you not. It was just like, and you must have known I was preaching this week. I was like, <clears throat> like hey, man, um, okay, I guess you've established your position. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting all fired up. I'm like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Big deal. He's not hurting anybody. He's like, we're not hurting anybody. I'm like, I know, but you're kind of like, my pride's hurt, and you're, I'm just kind of annoyed that you drove out here in the middle of the park, you know? And I so badly wanted to tell this dude off. But the only reason I didn't, honestly, is because I was afraid of him. I was like, man, he's going to, this dude's a big dude. And I'm like, I'm a big dude, but I'm a softie. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This guy, I, he just saw me walk out of my house and walk over to him and talk to him. He's going to be like, oh, really, little boy? <laughs> Wait till you're at home in bed, pal. I know you don't lock your doors. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, so I get all fired up again. I'm just like, I'm talking to Kirsten about it. And I'm like, man, then I get convicted by the Spirit. Why do I get mad about that? This guy needs Jesus. This guy needs Jesus. Why do I get mad about that? And I literally came in. I'm like, man, I want to pick a fight with this guy, even though I don't want to. But is my testimony, my Christian testimony, is it worth more than me just like, being like, hey, listen, man, I'm going to tell you off. Man, and then, and then, hey, by the way, but if you have a minute to talk about Jesus, let me talk to you about how important he is to you. You'd be like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So here's the, you know, I mean, it's, it's convicting to me. I share these things with you. I wasn't, this is not in my notes. But I share these things with you because I'm like, listen, we're a family. We're a body. We need to do this together well. Right? Like, we need to realize that our hearts, we're, we're prone towards deviating pretty quickly away from the gospel. That's why we remind ourselves every single week. And we need each other so badly. And we need to walk in the confidence of who we are and approach the throne room with confidence and say, hey, you know what? I messed up again. Like, my heart is wicked. I wanted, you know what I wanted with that dude? And I wanted him to be like, oh, you know what? You're right. Let me leave right now. You know, like, I'm so thankful that you came out here in your jogging pants and hoodie and reminded me that I can't park at the park. You know? There goes that relationship, right? And I'm thinking, well, I don't care. I'll never see that guy again. You know, it's so terrible. That's how we think all the time, right? But if we're thinking with this eternal mindset that God saved us to, right? I'm still on the first verse, oh boy. Um, <laughs> that you have eternal life is that he says. John says you have eternal life as a reminder. That's going to help us not get caught up in idolatry, to think eternally, to have this eternal mindset, okay? So that's the point I wanted to make on that one. And then he gets into this whole part, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death. That's the part we're going to have to spend some time on some other time, okay? That's really deep, but let me just go over this with you. He's talking about how there's sin that leads to death and there's sin that doesn't lead to death, right? And part of the teaching team, we're talking about this kind of stuff, and I talked to some of the guys and studied and researched, and I'm just thinking, God, what are you saying here? Because this seems, to me, all sin leads to death, right? Here's the, here's the point, and maybe we can study this in the future. There's unrepentant, habitual sin where you're just like, I want nothing to do with you. That leads to death, right? The, de- the sin that does not lead to death is the kind that's like, Chris, I know you messed up, or you rather point at me, hey, I know you messed up, like, you, you intercede and you pray for me, right? And then we can, as a community, intercede for each other so that we're not walking in our sinful behavior, knowing that we're prone towards it. That's the kind of stuff I think that John's talking about. And the stuff that you can pray for, that God would give him life, is the stuff that you repent for. Okay? We see people who are walking in this habitual, hard-hearted, unrepentant sin towards God, I think that's what he's referring to is when he's saying that leads to death, okay? So I, I think I would be doing a poor job if I didn't talk about that. But for right now, that's what I just wanted to go over. Um, the, uh, and, the, and the fact that we as a community would intercede for each other, I think, is super important. Um, then he goes into this thing where he talks about, um, in verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Pay attention to that. We know, John's saying, we know what? We know that we are children of God. Again, the reminder. We know that we are the children of God. And, right, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is really important for us not to forget about, okay? So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid our penalty for sin. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan, right? He conquered death. We just talked about that on Easter, right? He, was, he died, he went to the grave, and he came back to life. And that's, that's what gives our whole reason for existence in Christianity. Here's the deal, okay? The enemy still is real, and he still has power, 
Okay? So we can't. All right? I feel sometimes that we want to just be like, no, nah, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to talk about the evil one. That's left for like Harry Potter books, right? Where there's, you know, we think about Voldemort. Um, but he says, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We need to be aware of that. So when, he, when I'm talking about there being a distinction between how we live and how the world lives, any power source or any influence that's absent of Holy Spirit, like um, of, of the Holy Spirit in that person's life, is only going to be prone towards having what? What's the alternative? The powers of the, of the world, the powers of the earth. And, who's, and who has power there? The evil one does. So we need to be aware that like, there are spiritual strong forces, strongholds and that there is a reality of evil and that the enemy has power. Now, does he have We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? But he can still mess with our lives if we give him, a bit, if we give him opportunity to. Right? So we need to be aware of this, that we're prone towards, like, let's just be, I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot we can talk about this. But, for example, that silly example of me wanting to approach that guy, I wanted to harm him. I wanted him to be humbled. I wanted him to drive away. And when he got in my face, literally, he's like, we're not going anywhere. So you can just walk away. I wasn't like, oh, I want to bless you. I was like, no, I want to punch you. You know what I mean? That's evil. Okay? That's evil. That my heart is evil in that. That's a silly example, but that's a real one too, right? So when we start to look at the, the, the information here and the influence in our city, and we start to look at the antagonism towards Christ, towards the gospel that is real, that's coming from the evil one, right? And the enemy wants, he wants no more to have Christians forget about the fact that he has influence and just say, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. He, wants, he, would, he would love that for us to be distracted by that. So we, as Christians, need to be aware of that. And the antidote to being under the influence of the evil one is to be so closely tied into the Holy Spirit and so closely rooted and deeply rooted in the gospel, in the words of Jesus, in his word, so that we can recognize the influence of the enemy, so that we can see where there's the power of the devil, right? Because that's real. John is given these warnings, and he's not just throwing them out there just because they're cute. He's, he cares about the church. I care about us. So that's why I want to talk about these things. This is a real thing. And I think sometimes we think it's cute. Honestly, we don't, we don't recognize how evil the times are that we're living in. And we just kind of just coast. I think one of our biggest weaknesses here in the United States is that we have it too easy. As I was reading, um, I brought this book up. I'm going to quote it a little bit later, but Francis Chan is a great writer. If you ever want to get convicted and you want to just feel like you're, you know, a horrible man like me, um, just read this book, honestly. Crazy Love. He talks just about, like, how we're so lukewarm. We tend to be so lukewarm here in the United States. And he goes all over the world, and he, and he was in India and China, and he's talking with the church leaders in India, and he's like, so do you guys have, like, people who are just kind of nominal Christians who just kind of show up for worship and don't really, their lives aren't changed? And the leaders started laughing. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, you can't be a nominal Christian and live in our culture here. The second you say you're a Christian, you lose all ties to your family or, like, you know, you lose 
you lose influence, you, you lose. I mean, you can, go, you can go to prison just for, for speaking about Jesus, right? I mean, this is, this, the stakes are so high almost everywhere else. And here we sit in this comfortable place where our biggest struggle is that we're too busy and I have too many emails and I didn't get, you know what I mean? Like, it's a joke. So we need to be reminded of that, right? I need to be reminded of that, that holy cow, we, I think the thing that the enemy would have us believe is that we're okay and we don't need to rock the boat. Don't start to really take the word for what it says. That's archaic. Are you really want to talk to me about the evil one? Really? You're going to go back to Adam and Eve? and the, You know what I mean? And he starts to mock the gospel. And the worst thing we could do is just think that we're all right. And the worst thing that we could do is make light of all that stuff and not realize that what God has called is a distinct life, is a distinct life. And that while we are children of God, yes, there is power. The enemy has power, and, and, and that's real. Does this stuff make sense? Do we like hearing about this stuff? We don't like, I don't like hearing about it, but I want to and I need to. I candidly just want to be comfortable. That's my idol. I just want to be comfortable, you know? And I've built my life, and it's pretty comfortable. You know, and it's embarrassing. I'm sitting here. I'm getting so convicted reading through this stuff. As I'm going to come teach, I'm just like, I am lukewarm right now. I'm lukewarm. I get more bummed out about the Warriors breaking their losing streak at home than I do about the church overseas. That's a joke, right? And I'm saying that, and that sounds crazy, but you know what I do every night before I go to bed? Am I reading scripture? I'm going to my NBA app, and I'm seeing how the Warriors are doing. How many points does Steph Curry have? You know what I mean? But that's what consumes my mind, right? Do we really believe in the eternal magnitude of our lives? Do we really believe that our eternal lives are so much, so much longer than the small fraction that we have here to live on earth? I love it that John keeps referring to God as an eternal God. He will live on forever, and he's called us into his family I love talking about being part of the family of God because I want a good, loving father to love me. And I get reminded, it's not just for now. That's for all of eternity. When he adopts us into family, it's not just for now. It's for all of eternity. We can't even wrap our minds around that. But if we started to, we'd start to get angry about different things. We'd start to have our hearts get broken about different things. When we think about the suffering church, when we think about if someone makes a claim about Jesus, they could lose their life. Not your place in line at Starbucks that we get mad about. Like, what? Like, I cut in front of me. You know what I mean? It's powerful, right? I mean, oh, man. So we think here and we think, okay, God, so, so what? So now what? You have my attention, hopefully. So now what? What do we do with this? In verse 20, he says, right after verse 19, he's, and so awesome. We also know. We also know. Right after he says, we're part of, we're children of God, and we know that the power of the evil one is real. And then he says in verse 20, we also know that the Son of God, I'm sorry, we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So John says, here's the deal. 
your children. The evil one is real. We know that. We also know Jesus. And he points to Jesus. We also know this. And so that's the part there where I'm just like, okay, where, where's the hope here? Where's the hope? We also know we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. That is what we need to hang on to and move forward with. We also know that Jesus has given you a purpose and he's given you a reason. I've been getting convicted about my kids. My kids are getting older. You know if there's some preachers and pastors in some of these foreign countries that are 15, 16, 17, and they're preaching, not only just preaching, but they're, plant, they're like the church planters. And they're, that's, Michael's 13. That's three years from now. I'm looking at my life and being like, oh, man, what are we doing? I'm concerned about, like, making sure that my kids, like, I want my kids to play sports. I played sports. I want them to play sports. Man, pray for your kids. Pray that God would speak to them, that he would use them, Right? That we have to have our minds shifted and changed to think we have an eternal impact. He's called us for eternal purposes. And we won't get bent out of shape about things that don't matter all the time. That's why I tell you guys these dumb stories, because it happens to me all the time. I'm so prone towards deviating. So prone towards deviating. But I want us as a body to thrive and to know who God is, and to know that we are part of his family. And that's for eternity. That's for eternity. And that each one of us, God has given us gifts. He's given you desires. He's given you inclination, and he wants to use those for his kingdom. It most likely will look boring, honestly. It most likely I just want to be real with my coworkers and talk to them and establish a relationship, not just for entertainment, but because I care about them. That's not super exciting, but that has kingdom implications. When I say that's not super exciting, I'm not saying it's like flash in the pan, crazy. No, man, it's about getting involved in the people's lives around you and speaking truth to them and sharing your faith with them and talking about how God has changed your life. Hopefully your life has changed. Hopefully my life is changed. Amen? So our focus needs to be on eternity. And you'll say, well, where are you getting this from? I'm talking about John saying that we have an eternal God. We have an eternal God. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Put on the new, new self, if then you who have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is at the hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are of this earth. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are of this earth. Here's the deal. If we focus on earth, we run the risk of losing an eternal impact. If we focus on eternity, we have an eternal impact, and we get the stuff here on earth. All right, but so many times we're so focused about the stuff here on earth that we lose an eternal perspective. But if we have an eternal perspective, we get it both. Because Jesus came and he lived a life and he was on earth and he hung out, right? And he went to party. He was accused of being a drunk. That only happens if you're hanging out at places where people are drinking, right? It's like, you know, like he was hanging out with people, right? He was living well, 
with people, and he was perfectly sinless. So that's our model. So we need to focus on eternity and set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth. That will keep us from letting our idolatry distract us from what God has called us to.